I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Conflict and war brings plenty of ghost stories and legends, from soldiers still roaming the battlefield to the spirits of civilians whose lives were tragically lost. Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, where this week we're discussing some of the ghosts connected to World War II. The 1940s were shaped by the Second World War. There was a huge shift in gender roles, a strong sense of community spirit and patronism. With such a huge loss of life during the war, it's no wonder that spirits continue to wander the earth. The ghosts associated with World War II can be diverse and varied, reflecting the complex history of the period and the many different people and groups who were affected by the conflict. Now, when thinking of the Second World War, of course, we can't not think about the man behind the famous We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech that was delivered to the House of Commons on the 4th of June 1940. Here's a little bit of that speech now. We should prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. At any rate, that is what we are going to try to do. That is the resolve of His Majesty's government, every man of them. That is the will of Parliament and the nation, the British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Now that voice, as many of you know, is from the British Prime Minister at the time, Sir Winston Churchill. Now in this speech, Churchill had to describe a great military disaster and warn of a possible invasion attempt by Germany without casting doubt on victory for the country. And this is one of the most famous moments in Churchill's work as the Prime Minister. 
During the Second World War, whilst ordinary Britons were digging themselves in, in Anderson shelters and the like, the government were doing the exact same thing, but secretly in central London. A massive concealed underground centre was created in Whitehall, London. This was the nerve centre of Britain's war effort, the Cabinet War Rooms, or as it's now known, the Churchill War Rooms. Churchill himself is said to continue to walk the Churchill War Rooms, a set of underground bunker rooms which served as the secret headquarters for Winston Churchill and his war cabinet. The rooms are kept in the exact same state as when they were used. There was even a private suite created for the Churchills. Now, to mark his time there, there is a waxwork of Winston in the phone room. This connected Britain to America, and it also connected him to various other very important parts of the country and offices, including Buckingham Palace. Workers in the museum often find that the dummy's hands are in different positions, like it's trying to shake ash from the unlit cigar. OK, perhaps someone is just moving the arm. Hmm? I mean, it would be very hard to do that because the room is sealed behind glass um, and only very few people can get in there. As well as this, every three years, one of the clocks sets itself to the wrong time. All of the clocks are set to 4.58, the time that the cabinet was first held on the 15th of October 1940. They have no power to them and the ceiling is so thick it can't be vibrations from the street above. So, is this a staff member joking around? Or could it be something paranormal? Well, one of my most memorable Most Haunted lives was when myself and the Most Haunted team spent, I think it was five nights underground in London. And we investigated various locations. Uh, one of them I spoke just recently about, which was, of course, Oldwich Underground Station. Um, oh, that was scary enough. Blimey. Anyway, but we were on camera 24 hours a day. We did the live show. And then when we went off air, the webcams went up on the website, which could be viewed all over the world. And we had loads of different web cameras. So you could see so much and you could hear so much. It was absolutely exhausting because you were aware you were on camera all the time. I mean, you couldn't go to the loo. I mean, and if you did, someone had to cover for you. It was just an incredible and, and very, very memorable investigation. It was exhilarating. And yet when we got to spend the night in the cabinet war rooms or the Churchill war rooms. Oh, it was like winning the lottery for me. Um, it was an incredible location. I know you can go, you can actually go and do a tour of the cabinet war rooms. And I urge you to go because this place is like, it's just, there are no words to describe it. It takes you back in time. It's like going in a time machine. It's incredible. Can you imagine we walked in and the whole place was plunged into total darkness. So this incredible place was ours for the whole night. And we were, I'm very proud to say, the very first group worldwide to do a paranormal investigation in this particular area. And there are so many memories of that investigation that I absolutely love. I suppose going into this sort of warren of tunnels underground with all these different rooms, clocks on the walls, posters still up. Um, and a lot of the rooms are behind um, glass. Um, and there's, there is a way in and a way out, but, but you cannot touch 
anything. You're not allowed to touch the chairs, sit on the chairs. You can't touch the paper, but everything is set out as it was during the war. So Churchill's chair is there in the actual main, um, the, the war office. His chair is there. Uh, his paper is there. They've even got a cigar there. Um, and he has, I think there were three phones and they were different colored phones. And each phone um, was a, a direct line to Parliament, to Buckingham Palace, and I've forgotten where the other one was too. It was absolutely incredible. And I remember us being absolutely exhausted at one point because we were just going through the night that we were all sat on the floor with our backs against the wall because we weren't allowed to sit on the chairs. And even though they did have like a, a separate room for where the Churchills would sleep, that was his wife as well, uh, it was very, very basic. And I remember being very shocked by that, thinking, but this is the Prime Minister and his wife. But it was just a very basic couple of beds, nothing extraordinary about it at all. I think there is a picture now, and I, I, but I don't remember it being like that. They might have put a new fancy bedspread on there to make it look a little bit more uh, upmarket, but I don't remember it that way. Anyway, as I say, we were there, we went in, it was dark. And so, of course, we went into the actual first, the main war room. There was maps on the walls, a big table with lots of seats around it. Uh, Churchill's seat was the head of the, the table. All these uh, papers and pens and were all around it. Again, not to touch, but it was just, I was just in awe. It's like seeing Elvis's autograph, you know, or maybe a pair of Elvis's underpants were there. I was like, oh, Churchill sat here and I touched his seat, you know. Anyway, I remember um, I was with uh, the team in there and all of a sudden we started to hear pounding on the walls where um, a map was. And it was. I was. It, we were on an ad break, and I remember saying uh, on my microphone to the production team, "Are you getting this noise? It's coming from the walls." And they were saying that yes, they could hear it, but they were on an ad break, and I, I would get so frustrated because I'm thinking the audience in the studio can't hear this, the audience at home can't hear this. Oh my god, how frustrating! Anyway, this went on and it got louder and louder and louder. It was absolutely fantastic, and then you started to hear knocking. So we knew then. Literally within moments, as soon as we'd walked in, that there was activity, that, that, that it was haunted. And I was absolutely, oh, could it be Winston Churchill? Are we going to be able to talk to the ghost of Winston Churchill? But sadly, I don't recall that ever happening. Um, I do remember, though, um, the telephones going off. Now, you may remember at the beginning, I said that there were three telephones with different colours, but there were also lots of telephones in different offices. Uh, again, a lot of them were behind this glass. So there was nobody there that could tamper with them. We were also told by the people that ran the cabinet war rooms that none of these telephones were connected to anything. They, they were just, you know, there, there was nothing. There was no dial tone. There was nothing. They were just there as props for when people came around and did the tour. Well, can you imagine... I said, I think I said, if you're here, if there's somebody here, can you make the telephones ring? And the bloody things did. Well, I've met, honest to God, it was the most amazing thing. I mean, I was so excited. I wasn't scared at all. I was absolutely beside myself. I think it was me, Carl and Stuart, and we were running from one office to another. And... I mean, we were, we knew, we thought, God, we're going to get told off because we're touching something. But I remember picking up the phone, there was nothing there. No dial tone, no static, no nothing. And I was hoping for, obviously, a voice or something, but there was nothing there. We call out again. 
ring, ring, ring. And then it'd stop. It was only short bursts, but we'd run and we'd go to the, oh, and nothing there. It was an incredible, wonderful moment. Um, now, you see, Carl remembers it differently to me. He thinks it's one of Churchill's phones kept ringing out, but I don't think it was. I can't remember. And I've tried to find it on YouTube, but I can't, I can't find it. So if you have more luck than I do, please let me know. Um, it was an incredible moment. Now, we did do a Ouija board session, and this was fantastic because if you watch the episode, uh, I think it's is it part four or part five, the noise coming from the table is incredible. It's a proper knocking, and it, it was really good. And it frightened me at first. Um, and it was as the energy was building, and uh, I said, who are we talking to? And he spelt out his name, and his name was Andrew Duncan. And we said, you know, do you need our help? And he said, yes. And he was in the RAF, and apparently he had died before the war was over, but he didn't know he was dead. And he was asking for our, our help, which, after the show came off air, we did. Um, but Carl quite rightly said, I don't think it's right, uh, and this was years ago, by the way, I don't think it's right for us to, um, you know, mention anybody's surname because we have to respect the surviving families. You know, they don't, you know, they might not want to know that their beloved, um, you know, father or grandfather is, is, is needing help. And he was quite right. So anyway, we moved on and we asked somebody else to come forward and a, a gentleman spelt out his name and he was called Trevor. Now he said that he was from London and that he knew that the war was over. And he also said that he would help Andrew cross over. Now, this Trevor said that he was 34 years old when he died and he was killed in a bomb explosion. Uh, he, he actually worked in the cabinet war rooms. I then asked how many spirits are still here in the war rooms with us. And he told us that 68 were present and that some of them still believed the war was going on. And then suddenly a loud bang emitted from the table, which made me scream. I mean, I jumped bit of wee-wee came away. And then I asked them if that made them laugh, uh, me screaming, and they replied, yes. <laughs> I then asked, do more of them need help like Andrew? And Trevor replied that yes, some of them do. They're confused as they went over in traumatic circumstances and they don't know that they're dead. Well, that absolutely fascinated me. Um, and that activity does match other places like RAF Raynham, where some of the spirits still believe that the war is raging on. They don't know that they're dead. And that always makes me think, now, why? Why? Why does that happen when we do know for sure that, you know, we've heard stories, haven't we? And spirits will come through and say that um, they've, they've moved on. It's blissful. They don't want to come back. And, you know, we've talked about that in depth many, many times. So why um, do certain spirits not move on? And I, I asked them this and they said, because they're so confused and traumatized um, in the way that they've moved on. But yet I also have been told that some people that have gone over in car crashes, train crashes, you know, traumatic situations similar to the war, that they are almost, they cross over and yet they're sort of welcomed and looked after almost in a sort of very beautiful hospital uh, scenario where there are people that look after them and, and sort of explain to them what's happened. And so the trauma uh, isn't as bad and, and they get used to the fact that, yes, actually, I am dead. So why in certain circumstances then 
do people, do spirits not make that transition into that, let's call it the hospital wing? Why do they not go over in that way? Why are they still earthbound and why do they not know that they're dead? I would love to know why. And I've asked that question many, many times to the spirit world and I haven't got an answer back. And I'd love to know what you think as well. Um, my time at the Cabinet War Rooms was absolutely fantastic. And it was a privilege uh, for myself, Carl, and the Most Haunted team to be allowed to investigate such an immense place. And like I said at the, at the top of uh, the show, if you have a chance to go and look around that place for yourself, like I say, go online, go on their website, you can book your tickets. Please do. And let me know if you have any spooky experiences. And tell me, what do you think about people going over tragically? Why are they earthbound, some of them? I'd love to know your thoughts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, this week, we have a voice note from our listener, Tom in Berlin, who got in touch after hearing about black-eyed children to share his strange experience that he had in a mirror. Hello, Yvette and associates and friends and family. I think I've included everyone. This is Tom from Berlin. Listening to your last podcast about people with black eyes, well, that reminded me of the time where one evening, after watching television, I decided I had better get to bed early because of a hard day's work coming up the next day. 
And as I walked into the bathroom, I flipped on the light switch, looked into the mirror, and looking back at me was my, of course, my mirrored image, but my eyes were black, not a bit of white in them. I can't remember if I was shocked, which I think I was. I stared at myself and said, ah, what's wrong? Am I having a stroke? So I immediately got dressed again and drove over to the emergency care, explained everything, and she was looking at me like, I don't see anything. And uh, they ran a battery of tests on me and never could figure out what actually happened. Everything turned out normal. This is almost as strange as seeing my own spirit, which I've reported to you before. Take care and um, all the best. Enjoy the show. Bye-bye. Hi, Tom. It's lovely to hear from you again. Well, how freaky is that? I wonder what happened with your eyes. Now, you know, many people have stared into a mirror and seen their own face change. In a haunted location, I've done this and it's called scrying. Now, you can actually buy a scrying mirror. You can buy them online and it's made for this exact purpose. And many people have reported seeing friends' faces change so that they look like someone else. And this is called transfiguration. And I've experienced this uh, in a normal mirror in a, in a hotel. Uh, I was doing uh, an investigation. I wasn't just on holiday. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, it was my uh, own face that I saw. But after a few moments, I could make out an older woman wearing an old-fashioned bonnet. Um, and uh, that was really peculiar. And I remember I was also filming it with a night vision camera. I can't remember what, was it the Skiridin? I can't remember which investigation it was. And I pulled the camera up and you can see on camera, it's not me. And you can see the sort of outline of an old fashioned bonnet. It was extraordinary. Well, who that person was, <clears throat> I never did find out. Was it one of the ghosts that said to haunt the hotel? Uh, or was it just my tired eyes? But whether it was my mind playing tricks on me, I'll never know. But I definitely know that I saw that woman. And the fact that you, Tom, went to the hospital to get checked out leads me to think that what you saw was real. So, again, I'm wondering what's happening here. Let me know if it happens again. It's totally and utterly fascinating. Now, let's head back to the 1940s. The Royal Air Force, or RAF, played a huge part in World War II, and these bases uh, were a hub of activity. The RAF was instrumental in securing Allied victory, with its success in the Battle of Britain and strategic bombing campaigns helping to turn the tide of the war. And the reconnaissance and intelligence gathering operations provided critical information that helped to inform the Allies' strategic decisions. These once busy wartime airfields are now out of use and are either overgrown or crumbling away. RAF East Kirkby is said to be one of the most haunted airfields in the UK. RAF East Kirkby is a former base near Horncastle in Lincolnshire, which was opened in August 1943 as a bomber command centre. In April 1943, a terrible incident happened when a 57 Squadron Lancaster bomber was being loaded with the ammunition and a 1,000 pound bomb was accidentally dropped onto the floor, setting off the rest of the plane's bomb load. The explosion killed three airmen, injured 16 others and wrote off six Lancaster bombers beyond repair. Now, this is said 
to be the most haunted airfield in the UK, potentially due to the number of plane crashes that occurred on the site. One of the exhibits in the museum that is now on the site is that of a Spitfire, and the body of the pilot was only discovered during the movement of the plane 50 years later. A ghost of a young man is often seen walking around the wreckage at night. Could this be him? The most active part of the airfield is the control tower where people report a strange feeling or the sound of footsteps. Many leave quickly after entering and refuse to go back. So why is it that people feel this way? So I also investigated this site and it was absolutely fabulous. I remember it was bloody freezing, but I loved this investigation. It was very fascinating and incredibly active. Now, inside this, a massive, huge hangar was the World War II plane. I think it was a Lancaster bomber and it's called Just Jane. And you can see pictures of Just Jane uh, online. Uh, And we all had a little sit-in and we've all had our photographs taken inside. I've got a wonderful one framed of Carl. He's actually wearing his uh, uh, sort of, uh, I call it sort of his flight jacket with his um, lovely fluffy collar. And I think I've sort of painted a fake moustache on him as well and put some goggles on him. He did spend the rest of the afternoon walking around going, tally here, nightmare. Anyway, it was a fabulous experience. But actually sitting in that plane, the smells, the creaking of the plane as the the crew actually brought it out of the hangar for us to film, um, it was instantly you were transported back to the to the nineteen forties, and then when the lights went out, when it was all dark, we began to investigate the hangar. Now, for us, this was the main part of the investigation because a lot of activity had been reported in here. Um, And let me tell you, when that place is dark and it's just you, you know, uh, and a a small group of you, it this is what happens in investigations. In the daytime, you're like, it's a really interesting place. This is absolutely fascinating. The energy seems great. Yeah, it's going to be good. As soon as, as soon as it goes dark, all of a sudden the atmosphere seems to change. You're cold. Every tiny noise makes you turn around and think, you know, what the hell was that? Was it paranormal or, you know, is there a logical explanation for it? So, of course, your senses are heightened beyond belief. And I remember my senses were sticking out on end. It was incredible. Anyway, we walked around this hangar and there's all sorts of exhibits on there, old planes, bits of planes, you know, photographs of of um, these incredibly brave uh, RAF men and women that, that were housed, you know, worked at the station. It, w- it was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, I remember hearing footsteps. Now, most of us were, were sort of wearing trainers and, uh, and things like that, or, or sort of, you know, the Timberland boots. So they weren't sort of hard soles, but these footsteps were proper heel, toe, footsteps, the sort of footsteps that you would hear uh, perhaps uh, an RAF airman would wear, uh, that those are the shoes that he would wear back in the day, the, 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 leather, the leather soles. So it was really interesting because we were like, well, we wouldn't make loud footsteps like that. And then came the poltergeist activity. It was incredible. <laughs> we were bombarded with flying nuts, bolts, screws, anything and everything that was lying around were just coming at us. And it wasn't just like a little tinkling thing, you know, that was sort of flew vaguely in our direction. These things were coming at full speed, uh, full propulsion through the air and hitting us. And, And that was like, what the hell's going on? It was almost like they didn't want us there. And then the next thing would be you'd walk, you'd stop, and then you'd hear the footsteps. 
You'd walk on a little bit further. You'd stop. You'd hear the footsteps. Something was following us. And I'll never forget Carl's face. We were all in the dark, as per, and we had the night vision camera. I can't remember who else was with us, but the actual look of shock on Carl's face because he said, I've just seen a man. I've just seen a man. And he was stood, according to Carl, wearing uh, old-fashioned uh, 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 a, a uniform, and he was stood at the end of the hangar, at the far end, away from the doors. And he said, I, I saw him. I know I saw him. So Carl saw what people uh, had described in the past. Eyewitnesses had described this young RAF pilot, and, and Carl really believed that it was him that he had seen. So that was absolutely extraordinary. But the, the most frightening part was when we stood by the wreckage of a plane. Do you remember me telling you there was a Spitfire that had been unearthed um, 50 years later than when it had crashed? Well, that uh, Spitfire, part of it had been buried underground when it crashed. And the young pilot's, oh, so sad, the young pilot's ghost, as I mentioned, you know, his body um, was was discovered in the, the twisted metal. And sadly, he had actually burned to death in that crash. And that's the, the ghost that Carl thought he saw. And as we were talking about this poor young man, and he was only young, I think he was only a late teenage, like 1920, something like that. He was only young. Um, and suddenly we all began to smell burning. And we were honestly really freaked out because we were thinking, is the is is the is it gonna burn down? Is the building burning down? Is there a plane on fire? What's going on? And it was really strong. And then Carl immediately cried out saying that his arm felt hot. And he ripped his coat off and, and smelt his own arm saying, it smells like my arm's burnt. And then it smelt like burning flesh. Now, if you've never smelt that, you know the smell. It was horrific. And obviously, all the crew, we were all going up to Carl and we were smelling his arm and it was his arm. His arm smelt of burning flesh, even though his arm wasn't burnt. And it was, it, it was I can't even explain to you because it's just so weird and strange. Uh, but the smell was so strong. There's no way anybody could dispute it. I think even the parapsychologist at the time that was with us was like, yeah, that's definitely a smell of burning, burning flesh. It was really odd and incredibly worrying because you were thinking, what's going to happen, happen next? And years later, bizarrely enough, in another location, Codnell Castle, Carl's arm was really to go up in flames. He doesn't have much luck, does he, really? Um, the control tower uh, was incredibly freaky. I remember sitting up there with another team member. There were just the two of us and we were right at the very top. Uh, and I remember being a little bit disappointed because nothing, you know, we'd gone from having, you know, being bombarded with nuts and bolts and seeing a ghost and Carl's arm burning and all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden it was completely pitch black and very, very quiet. Um, the only thing that did happen was... Myself and the um, uh, the person that I was with, um, we were hearing very, very soft footsteps um, coming up the stairs uh, as if there were, something was coming into the room. It wasn't knocking, it was footsteps, but so, so soft. Um, but they were so quiet that we didn't pick them on, up on camera, which was really frustrating. I did feel like we were being watched 
all the time, uh, anywhere we went, even on the runway, uh, felt like we were we were being watched. East Kirkby is definitely 100% haunted. And again, it's open to the public. If you have a chance to go, you must go. It's well worth it, even just to go and sit in Just Jane. I think you can sit in that plane. She's marvellous. Now then, let's take a moment with our beautiful friend, Paul, as we take time to just... Breathe. And this week, we'll be looking at the body's relationship. I bumped into an old friend the other day. Hadn't seen him for two or three years. And then we got talking. Well, I say we got talking. I just stood there and listened. And listened. And listened. I couldn't get a word in. The only time he did stop was to have a little cough. And it reminded me of that old phrase. We have two ears and one mouth. Remember that ratio of two to one. Maybe we should just listen a little more than we speak. And then that cough that I kept hearing from him just made me think about what kind of relationship does he have with his mouth and his ears? Meaning, does he spend a lot more time speaking through his mouth? Wearing that area of him out, creating this little niggling cough that he's had since I've always known, always known that this cough. And then it made me think about my own relationship to these areas within us. The mouth, the nose, the ears, the heart, our stomach, our emotions, that lower area, that root shack we have, our relationship to Mother Earth. I started to think about my own relationships. How equally balanced am I in all of these energy centers we have within us? Do I overwork my emotions and suffer with stomach aches? Do I work for my heart a lot more than I should and get those anxieties and those, those concerns around my chest area? Or do I speak too much with that niggly cough? Or possibly, <laughs> I giggle at this point, is everything perfectly balanced and I use them all when necessary. I have compassion for my heart when it's needed. I come from my emotions down in my tummy when they're needed. And I speak when it's needed and listen when it's equally needed. So just think about that. Think about where I live my life. In what part of the body do I live my life? And if you want to create a little balance back inside you, just breathe in through your nose. Breathe to every part of your body. As silly as it sounds, breathe to the soles of your feet, the tips of your fingers, and the top of your head. All in one inhalation. And one exhalation. So just join me for a few seconds. Just all together, let's just breathe in. As we breathe into our nose, through our nose, breathe the soles of your feet, the tips of your fingers, and the top of your head. And as we breathe out, we breathe out from those parts. And again, breathe in. And breathe out. And maybe you may just create a few gaps in a conversation for someone else to speak. 
you may be able to create a few gaps for you to be able to listen more clearly. So try that. When things are a little bit bumpy and tricky, just stop, take a few breaths into every part of your body. Create that balance within. And most of all, remember, Paul says, just breathe. Have you had an experience in a place we haven't spoken yet about? Well, if you have, get in touch with us and share your stories with me. Uh, Here's the address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk. We are on WhatsApp and here's the number 075-999-27537. We are on social media on Instagram and the handle is at paranormalactivitypod. You can stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great, great week. Stay safe. And remember, things aren't always as they seem.